We had a wonderful Sunday together last week, didn't we, church? We, yeah. We had our Celebrate Recovery Sunday, and I am thankful it was so good because I had told you for a couple of weeks how good it would be. And, you know, every time we have one of these, I'm reminded and struck by the, just how we're encouraged, how we're challenged. I love when to see the boldness of others that can be vulnerable and open to us. And I'm struck by the fact that everyone who walks in here on any given Sunday is all in need of Jesus. Everyone that walks in here every Sunday has a wounding, whether it's by decisions that we've made or things in our life that have happened to us. And because of that, all of us need a renewal, a resurrection, a recovery. And so because of that, Celebrate Recovery is for everybody. And what I would want to propose to you this morning, if you were encouraged last week, if you were inspired, if you wanted a little bit more, I would love to invite you this Tuesday at 6.30 to our Celebrate Recovery ministry. It meets right over here in our youth room. And what we do maybe once or twice a year, you can do every single week over in our, with our Celebrate Recovery, that we know that we all have this wounding, we all have this need for recovery, so we would love for you to find your place there. So if you'd like to know more, I'd love to have you, invite you to talk to Ken or Melanie Ertel, they're waving right there, and they lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry as well as being one of our shepherding couples, and so they would love to help you find your place there. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn over to 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, I, again, want to welcome you this morning. My name is Kale Corright, one of the ministers here. We're so glad that you have been here to worship with us today. There is no better way to start your week than right here with the family of God every single Sunday. I've been so encouraged this morning by the songs we've been singing with one another, the communion thoughts that we've heard. Just being together is encouraging. And today we're going to start a new series on the life of Elijah. And his story starts in 1 Kings chapter 17. And before we read that, I want to just kind of give you just a little bit of an intro, because a few weeks ago I said, let's do, a, let's go through the life of Elijah. And I was surprised what I found. It wasn't as much as I thought. And, and for those of you who have read through your Bible, you might say, well, you should have known that. And, and I should have, I should have known that. But you know, I was thinking he's one of the best, the greatest prophets that we have. And so because, but I also know He's not, he's not Isaiah. He's not Jeremiah. He's not, he doesn't have his own book. So you thought that there would be more. Um, but this is, this is how they talk about him in the New Testament. In fact, if you just read the New Testament, you would think he had his own book. You'd think it was the biggest of the prophet books. Because, for instance, in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel is coming to foretell the, that John the Baptist will be born. He's coming, the angel Gabriel is coming to tell Zechariah his father, and he says, your son, John, will come in the spirit and power of Isaiah. No, he doesn't say that. The spirit and the power of Elijah, that this is who your son will be. This is how the Jews thought of Elijah. Matthew chapter 17, there's another story, and it's found in other gospels as well, but that's where Jesus is transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John. And in that moment they, moment, they see him in all his glory. And there it seems as if he is speaking to Moses and Jeremiah. No, sorry, Moses and Elijah. And there he is standing for them. God speaks to them in this moment. 
He's transfigured in all of his glory, and there he is standing there, Jesus talking to Moses, representing all of the law, and Elijah, representing all of the prophets. It's as if to say Jesus is the culmination of all of this. He is the fulfillment of all of this. But Elijah is the one that's there, not another prophet. And lastly, just as another example, we could have gone a lot more. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on the cross and he's about to die and he's crying out to God. And around them, they say, listen, he's crying out to Elijah. That's, that's how the Israelites, that's how they thought of Elijah. This is a, a character that is very important to them. He's up there with David, with Moses, with those kinds of people, Elijah the prophet. And so we're going to go through his story for the next few weeks and just to see why is it he made such an impact. What is it that happened? His story starts in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So there's nothing else before this about Elijah. You don't know who his parents were. You know where he's from. You don't know what job he held before this. But there he is. He bursts on the scene, and he is standing before King Ahab, the king of Israel. And if Ahab was like me reading this, I'd be like, who are you, and why are you here? How did you get in here? Nobody knows who you are. And here Elijah is standing, and he's proclaiming in front of the king of Israel. But he's there at just the right time because of who King Ahab is. In fact, if you were to go back one chapter, you would read this about King Ahab, 1 Kings chapter 16. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, if my story was written in Scripture, I would not want to be written like that, right? That's not how I would want God to think and see me. This is at a time when the northern tribes of Israel have split from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And it's in this moment that Elijah goes as a prophet to the northern tribes of Israel. And if you were to go back through 1 Kings and read about all of the kings of Israel, you will realize that there has not yet been one good king. Every single king, his story ends and it says, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But Ahab's story is a little different. Because if you read his story, you'll read that no one else aroused the anger of the Lord quite like Ahab did. That he was especially bent towards evil, especially turned away from God. And it's then that Elijah comes on the scene. In fact, one of the things that Ahab does is he marries Jezebel. And Jezebel serves the god Baal. And this is something that, that definitely God is displeased with. What you see here is that not only have they turned away from God, but they're going all in on another god, Baal. Jezebel and Ahab form an altar to Baal in Samaria, which is the heart of the kingdom of Israel. They form a temple to Baal. And so God responds by sending Elijah to give a drought. Now again, when I read this, you know, a drought doesn't impact just one person. In fact, I start to think, how is this fair to everybody else? Everyone's dealing with the drought now because of these two people. But what you realize when you read through the entire book of 1 Kings is that generation after generation has turned their back on God. All of these people have been led astray. Every king has been evil. And because of it, Israel itself is far from God. And so 
God comes to bring a drought. Now, this isn't, again, just to be as a punishment. This is a message. Because, see, they are now worshiping Baal. And Baal, in Canaanite mythology, is thought of as the rain god, the storm god. Baal is the god that brings vegetation, and because of it, Baal brings life. And so God sends a message. This isn't about punishment. This is about winning back the hearts of the people of Israel. Because, see, they are worshiping a God that they believe will bring them life. And God is saying, Baal can't bring you life. Only I can bring you life. But imagine you are a farmer in Israel in this time period. You live in the Middle Eastern, you live in the Middle East in uh, an agrarian society that you, generations before you have turned away from God and everyone around you is saying, worship Baal. And even if you're not all in on it, what would you do? I would probably say, you know, let's throw a sacrifice that way just in case. Because see, I need it to rain. Because if it doesn't rain, then the crops don't grow, then the livestock dies, then I die. And so you can see that God is not just bringing a punishment, but he's trying to win back his people. And so because of this, Elijah goes in and he says, there will be a drought. It will not rain until I say so, something that no prophet has said before. And he is, because of that, directly challenging Baal. He's going at the heart of their sin, at the heart of their, how they have turned their back on God. And Elijah, in a few weeks, will read about how he challenges Baal directly. But it starts here. So you think your God will bring rain? My God's going to stop the rain. And so this is the rest of this story today. Verse 2 of 1 Kings 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little bit about me here, okay? I'm going to trust you today with with a fact about me, all right? Please don't betray my trust. Because what's amazing to me about this story is not that God says the ravens will feed you, but the fact that Elijah goes then. Because if God told me, hey, go over there, there are going to be birds that are going to supply you with food, I'm going to say, I'm going to take the option B, thanks. Because for my, almost my entire life, birds and I, we just, we just don't get along, okay? I have been, more times than I can count, the subject of their targeting, so to speak. This is Sunday morning, but you're going with me, right? You understand what I'm saying. So one time I was with my dad. We were at an Oklahoma State football game, and there were about 40,000 of us there. And I have already had this relationships with birds at this time. There I am watching my team play football. It's a little bit rainy out, it's misty. It's not like a heavy downpour. But I'm watching the game. My dad is sitting over here, and I feel, I feel something like this. And I look, my dad is doing that to me. And I said, what are you doing? He said, don't worry about it. I said, what are, what are you doing? He said, you just got a little bird, you know. And I said, there's 40,000 people here. How is this me? How am I the one? This is our relationship, birds and I. Uh, so I wouldn't be super comfortable with this example, with this, with this story. God says, go and let the ravens feed you. And, and Elijah, he goes. 
I think, I think God is trying to send a message here with a couple of examples. He's sending Elijah east of the Jordan. He's sending him out of Israel. He's sending him to the place where when Israel, before they came into the promised land, they came from the east. He's sending them back to where Israel came from. He's sending him to a place called the Kareth Ravine. The word Kareth means to cut or to cut off. God is saying, Elijah, you go and you be cut off. You go all by yourself over there. He says, the, the birds are going to bring you bread and meat every morning and every night. How were the people of Israel fed when they wandered in the desert? Bread and meat came every single day. God is symbolically starting over. He's symbolically sending Elijah in the same path that his people came from. So God sends him out there, and Elijah goes. Now, Elijah is cut off here, but ravens are an interesting example as well. He's sent out of Israel to a place to be fed by ravens. Now, if you read your Bibles in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, both places, you can go fact check me on this later, ravens are called unclean animals. They're unclean birds. In fact, if you go and read, almost every bird is listed there. So while you were making fun of me a minute ago, I would just say, read your Bibles. <laughs> because birds are dirty and they're unclean. As we all know, only chickens are clean. They're God's bird, okay? <laughs> Chick-fil-A taught us that. So this is the start of Elijah's story. And so if you were to sum it up, this is what happens. Elijah comes out of nowhere. He's standing before the king of Israel, and he says, there's going to be a drought. It will not rain until I say so. And, be, and in doing so, he challenges Baal. He challenges their hearts. God then says, run off, be cut off into the Kareth Ravine, and there you will drink from the brook and be fed by ravens. This is a short story, and it's a, it's a strange story, but sometimes these short, small moments in our life can make all the difference, can't they? In fact, I would argue that Elijah becomes the person that we will read about because of this story, because of how he starts. It's these small moments that matter. When I was a student at Oklahoma State, every Wednesday night we had a worship service with all the college students. And there was one Wednesday night, and it was in a January, I remember my freshman year, and I sat in a place I probably didn't typically sit. And, and after service, I, I kind of started walking towards the middle of the room, and, and I saw a few people, including a friend of mine, walking to, to a different room. And I said, hey, what's going on? And he said, my friend replied, and he said, uh, we're, going, we're going on a mission trip this summer to Kenya. You should come with us. And the next day, I remember calling my parents saying, hey, I'm going on a mission trip to Kenya this summer and asking for their support in that moment. And I look back on that moment, and so many things had to go right to end up there. I mean, I was sitting in a place I don't typically. What if instead of going right after service, what if I had gone left? What if someone else had turned and talked to me? What if when I stopped my friend, if he had just said, oh, we have a meeting, and just kept walking? But I would tell you today that that trip, that moment was, was one of the, the parts of my story that led me here today. That if it wasn't for moments like that, I would not be in ministry today. All these small moments matter. And in this moment, Elijah says yes. God says, go to the ravine, and Elijah goes. 
He goes when what he could have done is he could have said, God, you have before sent people to other kingdoms for protection. Can I not go to Judah? Judah will protect me from Ahab. Can I, can I be sent to, to a northern kingdom somewhere out of here? But no, God says, go to the ravine. Go be cut off. And in doing so, God is sending Elijah a very clear and direct message about who he is and about his trustworthiness. Saying, Elijah, you can trust me. See, in this story, Elijah has been really pretty passive. I mean, we know that he, he says, I'll bring a drought, but we know that it's not his power that brings the drought, but it's God's power. He goes and he tells Ahab. Now, I don't want to say that this is, this is not a small thing. Going and standing in front of power and speaking truth to power is a difficult thing. He goes and he says, King Ahab, and I know you don't agree with this or you're not going to like this, but there's going to be a drought by our Father in heaven. The God that you should know is going to do this. That is, that is a big thing, but it's God's power at work. And then he runs off to the ravine where he is, he is supplied with food and water, but it's not from him. It's from God. And every step of the way in this story, what you see is that God is doing all the acting. God is the one whose power is at work. And Elijah is saying yes. Elijah is learning to trust and obey. See, in this moment, he, he trusts that God will bring a drought, that, he, that his words won't be empty. He runs off to the Kareth ravines, trusting that when God says, birds will bring you food, that they will. That the drought that started, that the brook won't dry up, that he'll have something to drink. God provides for him in every single way. Elijah is called to trust and obey, and he does. Not all of our biblical characters do this. Not even our best biblical characters always do this. For instance, the story of Moses. God says, speak to the rock, and I will provide water for my people. And Moses goes, and he hits the rock with his staff. He does not trust and obey. And God says, because you did not obey me, you will not enter into the promised land. Because of this one moment. It's hard to trust and obey in every moment. So the question that I think this text brings for us today is, where in your life is God calling you to simply trust and obey? Where in your life is God asking you to trust him completely and obey? This is not going to be easy. Running off into the ravine was not easy for Elijah. He was completely cut off. God sent Elijah to a place where he could only be dependent on him. He could not work for his own food. He could not, he could not cause water to flow down the brook. He had to be completely dependent on God. And church, I think that God is going to send you into a similar ravine. That in our discipleship to Christ... In our walk with God, there are times that he will say, it's time to go into the ravine. It's time to go and be cut off completely so that you will learn to be dependent on me. Because we know that we can do nothing apart from him. It's easier to say than it is to live. Elijah is learning to be completely dependent on God. And the question is, is where do you need to simply trust and obey? My guess is that there are some in here today that feel like you're in a ravine. That God sent you somewhere. You said, yes, I will go, God, but now you feel like you've been cut off. You feel like you've been in, that you're 
in a low place and you've been here for some time. And you're waiting patiently for God to finally call you back. We are called to simply trust and obey. God is the one at work here. God is the one in control here. As we were reminded in our communion talk, that we, we too have that bread of life to sustain us. That our Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the one that will sustain you. Jesus is worthy of our trust. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, ravens, if you will. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you worry, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You're called to trust and obey. When we worry, worrying is a sign that that we don't completely trust God. That there is an area of our life that we think we need to maintain control. That by our power, we will solve it. We will fix it. We have the power to maintain that. But God says, you're called to be completely dependent on me. You're called to trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus. In 1886, the famous preacher Dwight Moody was having a revival. And at this revival, many people came to Christ, and then they would share their stories afterwards. And there was one young man who said, who stood up and said, I am not quite sure, but I am going to trust, and I am going to obey. The writer of the song, Trust and Obey, heard that, And he wrote the song, Trust and Obey, based on that one line. And I think many of us in here today could say something similar. Whatever situation is going on in your life, whatever whatever it is that you're fighting against right now, you might could say, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure God will be there. I have some doubts. But in faith, we need the other part of that. But I am going to trust, and I am going to obey. That is our call today, church. Whether we are being sent into the ravine or waiting for God to call us back, it's to simply trust and obey. As we close today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. One of the beautiful things about the life that our God has designed for us is that he did not design us to live it and to walk it alone. When, if you are feeling like you're being sent to be cut off, you feel like you've been cut off in the ravine, know that you don't go there alone that the church stands with you. And so we invite you to prayer. Our invitation to you is the same every week, that we will walk with you. And maybe this morning you say, I feel like I've been cut off. In fact, I feel like I've never said yes to God. Maybe today is the day to say yes to him in baptism, to give up your life for his, to say, God, I want to simply trust and obey because we know that there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. So if we can help you with prayer or with baptism, whatever it is, once you come while we stand and sing.